Hello, friends. Grace and peace. Today is the finale for the prayer series. And let me tell you, this series has brought a lot of impact to people's lives. I keep hearing stories from people here at Crossbridge and outside of Crossbridge, those who are following us online, of how this series of sermons have brought a huge impact in their lives. It has impacted my life. It has encouraged me in my prayer life. I've made some shifts in the way in which I pray. I am reminded and more intentional as I pray uh, because as I prepare to teach you, I've been learning. You know, the teachers are usually the main learners, and I've been learning so much about this series. In fact, on Thursday this week, I heard that our prayer guide that we've been going along with this series has been translated into French and has been adopted by the Reformed French Church, and over 40 churches in France right now are going through our prayer guide. Isn't that amazing? So if this series has impacted you in any ways, we would love to hear from you. You can leave a comment in our comment section. You can fill out a form. You can come after church and talk to one of our leaders, one of our pastors, and share how this series has been impacting and has been meaningful to you. Because when you do that, you not only encourage us, but you encourage others as well uh, to pursue God and uh, to grow in their spiritual journey. Uh, Today, we reach the very last portion of the Lord's Prayer, uh, what theologians call the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. So let's go read the Lord's Prayer. It comes out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is what the Word of God says. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you were reading with me from your Bible, but maybe there's a possibility that you got to verse 13, which was the last verse that we read, and we're like, wait a minute, this verse is not in my Bible. That's true. Like if you read from the ESV or the NIV or the NLT, these are versions of the Bible, by the way. This last verse or the doxology is not included. It's present in the King James and the New King James. And you may be asking, why? Is there something wrong here? Well, there's debate over uh, the fact whether the doxology is present in the original texts. So there are a lot of manuscripts that include the doxology, and there are others that do not include the doxology. Uh, The Eastern Church adopted the doxology. The Western Church hasn't. Protestants have prayed the Lord's Prayer with the doxology, and Roman Catholics haven't. Uh, Regardless, if it was in the very original text, as Matthew wrote, As he heard Jesus at first teaching this prayer to his disciples, it doesn't really matter. See, I believe that uh, it was probably there in the original text because it's in the majority text, uh, the majority manuscript. Uh, It's also present in the Didache, which is one of the earliest uh, Christian catechisms. Uh, Many church fathers in the third and fourth century, they taught 
on the Lord's Prayer, including the doxology, but regardless, even if it isn't, I think it's a great ending to the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because, number one, the prayer doesn't end in an abrupt way, right? It doesn't end with just, uh, Lord, lead me not into temptation or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't end right there. But it gives a grand closure to the Lord's Prayer. Moreover, it couches uh, everything that the prayer is about. See, this idea of doxology, doxology means doxa, glory, and logia means word. It's a, it's a word of glory as you close that prayer. It's a word of glory to God, acknowledging three things, that our Father who we're praying to is King. It acknowledges that nothing is impossible for him, and that he is beautiful. So let's look at these three things today. First, that our Father is King. See, if he has a kingdom, if he possesses a kingdom, the doxology starts with yours is the kingdom. So if he possesses a kingdom, that means that he is King. Uh, Today, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, a tradition that Christians have celebrated for centuries, for hundreds of years. They celebrated Palm Sunday, which marks uh, Jesus' triumphal entry through the gates of Jerusalem as he was being hailed by a crowd king. Now, what's interesting about uh, that experience that we read in uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, is that the same crowd that hailed Jesus as king a week before the resurrection is the same crowd that a few days later, on a Friday, this happened on Sunday, on a Friday, they were crying out for Jesus' crucifixion. They turned on him really fast. And the question obviously is, why did that crowd turn on Jesus so fast? It's because uh, they were expecting Jesus to come and establish a different kingdom than the one that Jesus actually came to establish. See, the, the crowd that hailed Jesus as king on, on, on Palm Sunday, they expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman oppressors and to restore the power to the Jewish people. But that's not what Jesus really came to do. And they figured that out pretty fast in that week that Jesus spent in Jerusalem after riding through the gates of the city, they saw that he was confronting the worship and the religious authorities in the temple. He was, you know, preaching these, uh, you know, weird sermons like he did in the, uh, in, in, in the Mount of Olives. And so they said, well, this guy is not really serious about this mission Jesus did not meet their expectations, and so they said, well, we got to do away with him. Bring in the next one, if you will. See, I believe that uh, Palm Sunday teaches us some really great lessons. There's a lot that we can learn from what happened in Palm Sunday, especially as we consider the doxology in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the first thing is that uh, we all want our kingdoms to be established on earth. You know, we're all hustling and working so that 
our vision of the future would be established. Our political vision of the future, the vision that we have for our children and their careers, a vision of our own careers and a vision of our marriage and our relationships, we're all working so that some sort of human kingdom or multiple human kingdoms would be established. And what's interesting is that that's the expectation that we bring to God. Those are the expectations that we have of God. Uh, Many times when we pray, that is revealed. We're saying to God, God, this is the vision that I have for my life. This is the vision that I have for my career, a vision I have for my marriage, the vision I have for my children, the vision that I have for my country and my city. And those things are not necessarily bad. In fact, I would encourage you to have a vision for your life. Uh, You should not live your life without any vision. You should have a vision for your life. You should live according to purpose and in line with that, with that vision and that mission that maybe God has given you. But many times we come to God with, with our visions and we say, God, can you, can you just bless it? Can you just make it happen? Can you just come alongside? I think this is a great plan. This is the ideal plan. And when you just come and, and join me in what I'm doing. See, we get things backwards. And oftentimes, when we begin to sense that our prayers are not being answered, when we begin to sense that things are not necessarily going our way, when we begin to, to sense that our, our, our plans are, are now you know, uh, crumbling and falling to the ground, we get angry. We get anxious. We get disappointed at God and at life. And you know what that's an indication of? That we are coming to grips with the deep truth that we are not in control of our lives. We are not in control of the world. And we are inadequate rulers, not only of the world, but inadequate rulers of our own lives. See, it's transpired in our anxiety. It's transpired in our anger when things do not happen according to our vision. Let me ask you this. What if one day I came to you and I said, hey, listen, I have a commitment to preach to about 2,000 people tonight. I'm not going to be able to make it. Can you cover for me? Now, obviously, if, if I had said that to some of my pastors and even some of the elders here at Crossbridge, and there's some, some members here that um, have been equipped and ha- are gifted to do so, they would be up for the challenge. But let's say you've never had any preaching training. Let's say you're not really comfortable standing in front of people. You would say to me, that's not enough time for me to prepare, or I'm not qualified, but I said, you got to be the one to deliver that sermon You know, tonight, you would be shaking in your boots, you'd be anxious, you'd be sweating cold. Why? Because you're not qualified, you're not equipped to carry out that task. And see, our anxiety and our stress and our anger, because things are not happening according to our will in life, it's an indication that we are not qualified to take God's place. And Martin Luther had a sidekick 
by the name of Philip Melanchthon, Martin Luther the Reformer. Let me just clarify that. And, uh, you know, Melanchthon was uh, Luther's systematizer. He was Luther's organizer. Luther was the thought leader, and Melanchthon was the guy that built the structures around Luther so that the Reformation would actually take place in Germany and all of Europe and all over the world. But he was a warrior. Not a warrior, but a warrior. <laughs> and so Luther would put his hands around Melanchthon's shoulder and would say to Melanchthon, may King Philip, because that was his first name, stop ruling the world. See, this, uh, this first piece of the doxology in the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are not in control. And therefore, every time that we pray, thine is the kingdom, which should be obviously a template for how we pray every prayer and how we close every prayer. When we pray, thine is the kingdom, we are acknowledging, number one, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that God is good. That if things in my life and if things in this world are not happening according to my own vision, my vision of my kingdom, God must have great reasons for it because He is good. And that whenever in life it feels like that He is distant, not like a father, whenever in, in, in our lives it feels like that there is no advance in his kingdom, when there is no provision, when there is no bread, when it seems impossible for me to forgive somebody that has wronged me and live in that lifestyle of forgiveness, when it seems impossible also to experience deliverance from the tests of life, it does not mean that God is absent. It does not mean that he is not going to come through. It does not mean that he is not in control. See, when I pray this prayer and I close it by saying, thine is the kingdom, I'm saying, God, even though it seems like everything is spinning out of control and you have no idea what's going on, I trust and I believe that you are in control. I trust and I believe that you got it. See, that's what it means to say, thine is the kingdom, that God's got it. Do you feel right now, do you trust that God's got things? If you're not there yet, maybe you should keep praying this prayer and the doxology of this prayer. Thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Our Father is king. And secondly, nothing is impossible to him. See, that's the next thing that we say in the doxology. Yours is the power. Yours, not mine. Yours is the power. See, the interesting thing about Palm Sunday, let's bring Palm Sunday back into the picture, is that Palm Sunday is a huge mismatch between the people's desire and God's provision between what they wanted Jesus to do and actually what Jesus actually came and did. There was a huge mismatch there. And the interesting thing is that 
God gave to them, God provided for them something way bigger and way greater that they could ever imagine and desire. The provision that God brought them through Jesus as he rode through the gates of the city of Jerusalem was a greater provision than they ever desired. Now, I'm not a gamer. I don't play video games that much, but I played video games growing up, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll play some video games. Uh, Pastor Carter is actually a gamer, just letting you know here. So, but here's what I know about video games, right? Every video game has stages, right? You're moving on from one stage to another, to another, to another, until you get to that final stage where uh, you have an opportunity to close the game, to win the game. Every stage, there's a boss, right, that you have to conquer at the end of that stage. And, you know, the more you play that stage, you learn the hacks, you learn the ways of defeating that boss so that you can move on to the next stage. See, the people, they were thinking about defeating the boss in the first stage, but God, as every video game, there's that last master boss that you got to defeat. God was defeating the last master boss, okay? When they were thinking that God was sending Jesus to defeat that first boss in that first stage, God was already beating the last boss in the game. (laughs) And so therefore, when we pray, yours is the power, there are some serious implications to that. We come under the assumption that God has delivered us from our greatest enemy, death and hell. That's what God was doing for the people and for us by going into that city and at the end of that week suffering on the cross and raising that following Sunday, seven days later. That's what he was doing, defeating our greatest enemy. See, One of the implications of that, I have actually five that I wanted to share with you, is that the the Christian life should not be lived by one's own power, but in the power of God. See, they wanted Jesus to exercise human power like the previous false messiahs, like Judas Maccabeus, that a few decades before had also ridden through the gates of Jerusalem after winning a small revolt against the Romans. They wanted Jesus to be a leader with human powers, but to be successful unlike the others, obviously. But God was sending something way greater than that. Not just a man, Jesus was 100% man, but also he was sending, God was coming into the picture to wage war against our enemies. And so we must not live our lives in our own power, but we should live our lives in the power of God. Remember what I said last week? That the reason why you should want to be a Christian is not because you're strong enough, but because you are weak and you know that you need a strong Savior. Uh, Another implication of that, the second implication of that is that, you know, God God in that story on Palm Sunday, uh, He is always doing something bigger than we can ever dare to believe and imagine. God is always at work, and whenever we pray to God, God is always going above and beyond, and he's always doing, but he's always doing something greater. 
And we have to trust that he's at work and that he's doing something bigger, something greater than we can ever imagine and even ask for. See, this story reminds us of that. That's what it means to close the Lord's Prayer with, yours is the power. Another implication, a third implication of that is that if, if he has overthrown your greatest threat, which was death and hell, wouldn't he have enough power to overthrow the smaller threats in your life? See, this prayer is in the context of the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus also says in the same sermon, if he cares about the birds and the flowers who are not even made in his image, why would he not care about you? Why would he not listen your prayers for deliverance, for provision, to give you a heart that is a heart of forgiveness, a heart that moves towards reconciliation, a heart filled with hope for the coming of his kingdom? Why would he not provide for your daily needs? Why would he not break the chains of the things that are currently keeping you under bondage? That's an implication to pray. Yours is the power. And if he has done this for you, here's another implication. If he has done this for you and I, why wouldn't he do that for anyone? See, there's a lot of people in life that we know, friends, family, maybe children, parents, neighbors, coworkers, that we have counted out. Oh, these people are outside by far the reach of God. There's no way that these people will ever change. But again, we're talking here about the power of God at work. And no one is outside of God's reach, therefore. I love what some fathers are doing here at Crossbridge. They started a group, and they're praying for the salvation, for the conversion of their children. Wow, that is amazing. Which means that there's one last implication, is that when we pray, yours is the power, we're expecting big things from God. Sometimes we pray and we doubt whether God has enough power or willingness to revert the tables, to change lives, to soften hearts, to give future and hope and prospect to where there is none, only dryness to bring beauty out of ashes. This prayer and this piece in this prayer reminds us that every time that we pray the Lord's Prayer, and every prayer for that matter, we should be expecting big things from God because He has all the power and nothing is impossible for Him. Is that in your mind? Is that in your heart as you're praying? When you close your prayer, do you close your prayer? Because I, I love how this is at the end of the prayer, right? When you close your prayer, are you leaving that prayer site or that prayer moment thinking, oh, man, I know he's going to do something even better than that. <laughs> I know he's going to do something even bigger than that because that's my God. <laughs> he has all the power. Pray expecting big things from God. Jesus says that sometimes... 
We have not because we ask not. So we're going to ask big. We're going to approach God boldly, expecting big things from him. Because not only is he powerful, but he is beautiful. Last point. He is beautiful. Yours is the glory. Hmm. You know what the word glory means in the original Hebrew? Now, doxa is the Greek word for glory. But the Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod. You know what the word kabod means? Kabod means weight. Weight. You know when you come across like a beautiful person, stunning person, I'm not just talking about physically beautiful. I remember when I, I met my wife the first time. She was so beautiful. There was so much weight there. Like, oh, wow. It impacts you, right? Like there's this weight that comes upon you. But sometimes you come across some beautiful people. They're just, they just have beautiful hearts. You know, you just see how they respond to people, how kind they are and how generous they are, how forgiving they are, how selfless they are. You know people like that. I know tons of people like that. There's a lot of you at Crossbridge like that. But when you come across a beautiful person, there's that weight. It's like, oh my gosh. You, you almost feel like you're a second-class spiritual son or daughter of God. You're like, I'm not at their level. You know, there's, there's just weight. That's not true, by the way, right? That, that principle is not true that there, there's first and second and third-class spiritual level. I mean, these spiritual levels and people know. Um, but we're all sinners, saved by grace, just by the way. But when, when, when you come across a, a beautiful person, you know, that you feel that weight. And therefore, their words have a different weight than other people's words. That matters to you because they've, they've borne an impact in your life. You know, people who are also gifted and talent that are able to, to, to play sports in a beautiful way. Or, or, or to produce beautiful art, right? You know, when you admire people like that for the beauty that comes out of them, that they produce, there's some weight. Like sometimes, you know, the people that we, we really follow and we really admire, if they were to come into a room, we would be like so embarrassed. Like, what are they thinking of me? You know, you're just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He's coming in or she's coming in the room. Oh my gosh, I got to fix my, I got to make sure that everything's okay, right? Because there's weight. That's what kabod means. That's what glory means. And here in, in the triumphal entry, I want to read the passage here. because I didn't read it before. But it's in Mark 11. I'm just going to read three verses. Verses 7 through 9. It goes, and they, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches and they, that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a picture of a, of, of a conqueror or even a coronation of a monarch coming into the city after a battle victory or before being crowned. And he's received and hailed by his people. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, that's a beautiful thing. You know, every time that you, you see a coronation or 
Uh, we, we haven't seen many, but uh, in history there's been a few. And, and if you were you to see like a royal wedding, there's something beautiful and majestic about that. That's what's happening here. But the beauty of Jesus that's revealed on Palm Sunday, which is a beauty that you see throughout his whole life as you read the gospel accounts, is not so much present in this coronation because this is a poor man's coronation, right? <laughs> they're using, you know, uh, palm branches and they're, they're, they're extending their cloaks and there is a crowd, um, but the powerful people are not there. The, these are the, uh, your, your common villagers. Uh, Jesus is, is, is mounted on a colt, not a horse, and there's not an army behind him. There's no trump, there are no trumpets and gold. There's none of that which begins to give us a clue of where the real beauty lies in our king. See, uh, all conquerors in Jesus' days, as they would come in through the gates of the city after a great victory, or any monarch before being crowned, they would have their armies behind them. They would be mounted, not on a colt, but they would be mounted on a, 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 a valiant war horse. And they would have trumpets and they would go through the city gates and they would ascend the hill of the palace where they would go in and they would sit on the throne. You know, the contrast between those typical processions and Jesus' procession here is that he is mounted on a donkey, a young donkey, it's a little donkey, kind of like maybe even look disproportionate, I can imagine here, just, just something in my head, the Bible doesn't say this, but, you know, Jesus is, is, is sort of bigger than the little donkey. <laughs> and there's no majesticness in, in, uh, in, in, in the animal that he is mounted on. And the people are peasants, and he's going through the city gates, and, and he ascends after going into Jerusalem, he ascends a hill, but it's not the hill to the palace. It's the hill of Calvary. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't get up there and sit on a throne, but he gets stretched out on a cross. And that's the place by which Jesus rules. That's the beauty of Jesus, of how Jesus is king and how he rules, because he does not rule by taking up power, but by giving up power. Jesus does not rule by coming and crushing his enemies, but by being crushed for his enemies, you and I. He doesn't rule by raising a sword against the oppressors, but by coming under the sword and extending his arms. He rules not through power, but through love. And that's the beauty about Jesus, that every time that we pray this prayer and we get to this doxology and, and, and we say the words, in yours be the glory forever and ever, this is what we're saying. We want to help usher in this glory into the world. The beauty that there is in humility and servanthood and sacrifice and selflessness and the worship of God 
We're, we are, when we're praying this prayer, we are recommitting ourselves to this beauty in our lives and to ushering this beauty into the world together when we pray this prayer. This is where the glory of God is seen. This is how the glory of, of God and Jesus will be seen through us in the world when there's more loving of our enemies, not hating and persecuting our enemies. We live in a divided time and age, and, you know, Christians are at each other's throats because of political reasons and political agendas. What? Race. What? No, it's when we begin to love and sacrifice, not just for our tribe, but for those who are different from us. Not when we raise the sword against them, but when we open our arms. That's the type of stuff that an unbelieving world looks and says, that is beautiful. That's the Sermon of the Mount lifestyle that Jesus, when he preached it, wants us to live in his power. It's not going to come through your power, my power, but it's lived in his power. So, my hope for you today, as you continuously pray the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer, and as you get to this last piece, the doxology, that you would remember that your Father is King, that nothing is impossible for Him, and that He is beautiful, and He wants you to be beautiful just as He is. So today, let's close the series and close this sermon by together praying the Lord's Prayer. And my hope is, as we pray this prayer together, that you're not just reciting it. See, that's what we said in the beginning of the series. A lot of, prayer, a lot of people recite this prayer, and they don't really pray this prayer. And we're going we're gonna to pray it slow. And, and so I, I, I want to give you time to, you know, process within a few seconds between the lines in this prayer so that this time it will mean something very powerful to you. Let's pray together. In this manner, therefore, pray. Ready? Our Father in heaven. Pray that. Hallowed be your name. Pray that. Your kingdom come. Pray that. Your will be done. Pray that on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pray that. And do not lead us into temptation. Pray that. but deliver us from the evil one. 
Now pray this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you. If you have been impacted by this sermon today, man, we would love to know that. Leave a comment in the comment section. Fill out a form. We would love to follow up with you and come alongside you to encourage you in your journey, in your relationship with God. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.